Chapter Five of William Again by Rickmal Crompton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Not much. William walked down the village street singing lustily. His strident, unmelodious young voice rang out harshly. His face was purple with vocal effort. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose true, dare to make it known. Becoming tired of that subject, and not knowing the next verse, he abruptly changed his tune. I'm longing for the dear old home again, that cottage in the little winding lane. I can see the roses climbing, I can hear the sweet bells chiming, and I'm longing for the dear old home again. Inhabitants of the street along which William was passing hastily shut their front windows or fled from their front rooms or uttered loud abjurgations of William according to their characters. William passed along, singing and unmoved. A parrot, who had refused all invitations to converse since its purchase, suddenly raised its voice with William's in piercing screams. The quiet street had become a nightmare uproar of inharmonious sound. A man threw a boot at William from an upstairs window. It hit a hen in a neighbor's garden. The hen added its voice to William's and the parrot's. William passed along, singing and unmoved. I've a girl in Navarra, I've a girl in Sahara, I've got a few sweet girlies, ooh, I've promised to be true to... He turned off the main street. The hideous sound died gradually away in the distance, and quiet reigned once more in that vicinity. Windows were opened, people returned to their front rooms, the parrot relapsed into his customary silence. William went on singing towards his home. At the gate of his garden he changed his song for a toneless, penetrating whistle. He whistled his way blithely up the drive. His father flung up a window fiercely. "'Stop that noise!' he called. William proceeded on his way. "'Stop that noise!' William stopped. "'What noise?' he said. "'That, that foul noise you were making just now.' "'Whistlin'? I didn't know you meant whistlin' when you said noise,' William went on, drawing near the window. "'I didn't know you was talkin' to me at all just at first. I thought—' William was obviously anxious to carry on a friendly conversation with the fellow-being. His father hastily slammed the window and returned to his armchair." William opened his mouth as for a burst of song. Then he seemed suddenly to change his mind and pursed his lips as if for a whistle. Then, after a breathless moment of silence, he unpursed them, and, humming untunefully under his breath, he entered by the side door. The hall was empty. Through the open kitchen door he could see his mother and Ethel, his grown-up sister, cutting sandwiches at one table, and the cook and housemaid at another. He went into the kitchen. "'Who are you making sandwiches for?' he demanded. His mother surveyed him sadly. "'I do wish you could keep clean for more than two minutes together, William,' she said. William smoothed back an obstreperous mop of hair with a grimy hand. "'Yes,' he agreed mechanically. "'But who are you making sandwiches for?' Ethel paused with a butter-laden knife in mid-air. Don't, for heaven's sake, tell him, she said, and let's hope and pray that he'll keep out of the way till it's over. It'll be enough trouble without him hanging around. 
William ejected the tip of his tongue in her direction behind his mother's back. Yes, but who are you making sandwiches for? He said slowly and emphatically, with an air of patience tried beyond endurance. I think he'd be rather a help than otherwise, you know, said his mother, carefully arranging pieces of tongue on a slice of bread and butter. Ethel merely shrugged her shoulders. I suppose, said William, with heavy sarcasm, you're making em just for fun? Clever, said Ethel, cutting off the crusts of a sandwich. William, whose appetite was a never-failing quality, fell upon the crusts and began to eat them. "'Don't spoil your lunch, dear,' murmured Mrs. Brown. "'No,' promised William, "'but all I want to know is, "'who are you making sandwiches for?' "'Oh, do say something and stop him saying that awful sentence,' groaned Ethel. "'Well, dear,' began his mother persuasively, "'would you like a little party this afternoon?' "'People coming to tea?' asked William guardedly. "'Yes, dear, you'd be such a help, and—' William interrupted. I'll eat up all they leave afterwards for you, he said obligingly, but I think I won't come this time. Thank heaven, murmured Ethel. I'm not much good at parties, said William, with perfect truth and with a perfunctory grimace at his sister. But wouldn't you like to help to hand things round, darling? asked Mrs. Brown. No, thanks, but I'll eat up all they've left for you afterwards. How kind, said Ethel. William, goaded at last to verbal retaliation, turned on her. "'If you say much more to me,' he said darkly, "'I'll—I'll I'll, I'll not help you at any of your parties.' He then echoed her derisive laughter in a piercing tenor. "'William, darling,' sighed Mrs. Brown, "'do go and wash your face.' William crammed a handful of crusts into his mouth, put the cushion from the armchair onto the top of the cat, and went out into the hall. Here he burst suddenly into a flood of raucous sound. Oh, who will o'er the downs with me, and who will make with me ride? Mr. Brown opened the library door. Will you stop that confounded noise? he demanded emphatically. I'm sorry, said William amicably. I forgot you didn't like music. After lunch, William sallied forth once more into the world. He was feeling slightly bored. Ginger and Douglas and Henry, his three sworn allies, were all away on their holidays. William did not consider holidays unmixed blessings. Anyway, he considered that there ought to be a law that everyone should go on their holidays at the same time. He walked again down the village street. He did not sing this time. Instead, he threw stones at the telegraph poles. He stood at one telegraph pole and tried to hit the one across the road. Every pole that was hit was to William a magnificent tiger, falling lifeless, shot by William through the heart. The parrot, catching sight of him again, gave an excited scream. This put William off his aim. He screamed back at the parrot, missed the telegraph pole, and hit a King Charles Spaniel in a garden. He then dropped the rest of his stones and fled from the indignant owner of the dog. She pursued him down the street. You cruel boy! I'll tell your father, a poor dumb animal. She gave up the chase at the end of the road, and William went on his way, whistling, his hands in his pockets. At a bend in the road, he stood suddenly silent. A group of children were walking along in front of him. They had evidently just come out of the station. 
at their head walked a tall thin man the children boys and girls were about william's age they were clean and tidy but badly dressed and with pale cockney faces william hurried along the road a little girl turned round hello she said with a friendly grin did you nearly get left behind what your name william liked the almost incredible frizziness of her over-crimped hair he liked the dirty feather in her hat and the violent blue of her dress he liked her white stockings and yellow boots he thought her altogether and entirely charming he liked the way she talked he found her whole personality intriguing his grim freckled features relaxed into an ingratiating smile william he replied what yours heglantine she said noit nine ain't it may this is called rezia lorderly coming on a prime aren't it it was evident that she took him for one of her party william grasped at the opportunity of continuing the acquaintance mm, he said non-committally didn't see her on the trine such a crowd weren't there some from st luke's and some from st mary's oi don't know arf of them and don't think much of some of em by their looks oi were just looking up for someone to pal up with william's heart swelled with delight at this implied superiority a boy in front turned round he was pale and undersized and wore a loud check cap that would have fitted a grown man hello freckles he said to william william glared at him fiercely you just mind what you say to me he began darkly eglantine quickly interposed nah then albert Holmes," she said sharply tossing her tight curls and feathered hat none of your fice here you mind what you size to me and my friends the boy grinned and dropped behind with them what we goin to do anyways he said in a mollifying tone of friendship not much to do in the country is there no pictures no nothin there's gimes said william deliberately adopting the accent of his new friends he decided to adopt it permanently he considered it infinitely more interesting than that used by his own circle gimes said the boy in the check cap with infinite scorn runnin rices and such like and lookin at cows and pickin flowers thanks not much William stored up this expression for future use. "'Well, you needn't a come, Albert Holmes,' said Englantine sharply, "'if you don't a wanted to.' "'They said,' said Albert grimly, "'as how there be a tea, and I'm not one to miss a tea, "'a proper tea with kike and all, not much.' William was watching the large check cap with fascinating eyes. "'Where'd you get that cap?' he said at last. "'Dunno,' said the boy. He took it off and looked at William's lorik to swap william nodded the boy whipped off the cap without a word and handed it to william taking william's school cap in return william with a sigh of bliss put it on it enveloped his whole head and forehead the large peak standing out over his nose he pulled it firmly down it was the cap of his dreams the cap of a brigand chief we air smart ain't we said eglantine with a little high-pitched laugh William felt blissfully happy walking along beside her. "'What does your father do?' demanded Elbert of William sullenly. "'What is yours?' replied William guardedly. "'He goes round with a barrer selling things,' said Elbert. "'Moine sweeps chimneys,' said Englantine shrilly. "'He gets that black.' They both turned on William. "'What does yours do?' 
William bowed his head in shame. He could not bear to confess that his father neither sold things nor swept chimneys, but merely caught a train to London and his office every morning. "'Ain't got no father,' he said doggedly. "'You're a orphan, then,' said Eglantine, with an air of wide knowledge of the world. Huh, grunted William. At this point, the tall, thin man in front stopped and collected his flock around him. He wore a harassed and anxious expression. "'Now,' he said, "'are we all here? One, two, three, four. he counted to himself, wagging a thin forefinger round the group as he spoke. "'Please, sir, William's a horphan,' said Eglantine excitedly. "'Yes, yes,' said the tall man. "'Let me see. I seem to make you one too many, but no matter.' William, an orphan? How sad! Poor little fellow! Come along. We're going to play in the woods first, children, and then go on to a kind friend's to tea. The vicar rang her up this morning, and she very kindly offered to give you tea. Very kind, very kind. Yes, yes, this way, I think. Again the little procession moved on its way. Softy, commented Eglantine scornfully. He's one of the swanks, he is. He's a friend to the vicar's, cause the vicar couldn't come. Ain't got no patience with em myself. Why can't they talk like other folks? William redoubled his efforts to acquire his friend's intonation. Yes, who'd I'd like to know, he said aggressively, putting his large and loud tweed cap yet farther over his eyes. The tall, thin man at the head of the procession stopped again. I'll just go into this house, children, he said, and ask the way to the woods. He went up the pathway and knocked at the door. The group of children clustered round the gate and watched him. The door was opened by a housemaid. The thin man disappeared inside. The door was shut. "'Are we going to hang around him all the time?' asked William discontentedly. "'Won't be any fun, not much,' he said proudly after a slight pause. "'Well, he knows the why, and we don't,' said Albert. "'I do,' said William. "'You come with me, quick, afore he comes out.' They followed William silently round the back of the house and across a field. From the other end of the field they had a glimpse of the tall man coming out of the house, taking off his hat with a polite bow, then standing at the gate and looking round in bewildered amazement. Then they disappeared over a stile and into another road. Here a small person at the rear of the procession set up a plaintive cry. Oh, 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 she sobbed. I'm tired of the country. Oh, oh, oh I want to go home. Eglantine came to the rescue. If you don't turn up making that noise, Christine Hawkins, she said, a cow or something will eat you up. You never knows in the country. The sound ceased as if by magic. William led his friends along the road. At a pair of iron gates leading past a lodge into a winding drive, Eglantine stopped. I'm tired of walking along this here road, she announced. Let's go in here. Even William was aghast. It's someone's garden, he exclaimed. Fought yearth could go anywheres you liked in the country, said Eglantine aggrievedly. That's what they said anyway. They said you could go anywheres you liked in the country. Don't know why we came, she added wearily. The shrill wail rose again from the back of the crowd. Oh, I'm tired of the country. I want to go home. Anglantine entered the gate determinedly. Come on, she said. They'll turn us out, said William. Eglantine squared her thin shoulders. Let him just try turning me up, she said. 
not much murmured william proudly they passed with no opposition up the first part of the drive then eglantine saw a hedge with a gate in it and marshalled her party through that within they saw a lawn some gardens and a fountain looks all right commented eglantine loftily a young man rose languidly from a hammock in the trees i beg your pardon he said politely granted said eglantine not to be outdone in politeness can i do anything for you said the young man where's st luke's and st mary's exclaimed eglantine importantly i see said the young man you i presume are a st mary and he of the horsey headgear is a st luke m said eglantine pointing at william he's an orphan the young man adjusted a monocle really he said how intensely interesting we've come into the country for a holiday went on eglantine and we just came in here to see what was like in here how extremely kind of you said the young man i hope you like it eglantine surveyed the scene distantly with a band and some swings and a ice cream card it'd be all right she admitted the young man sighed i suppose so he said most of the children were already making the best of their opportunities some were chasing butterflies some picking flowers some had taken off shoes and stockings and were paddling in the ornamental pond the young man watched them rather despondently if i'd known that you were coming he said i'd have procured something in the way of a band and ice cream cart eglantine again was not to be outdone in politeness she stood a curious picture in her blue dress white stockings yellow boots with her over-frizzed hair standing out round her sharp little face beneath her feathered hat and nodded slightly it's of no consequence she said graciously she had the situation entirely in hand even william born leader as he was was overshadowed by her and was content that it should be so just as two small boys had climbed the pedestal in the middle of the ornamental pond and were endeavouring to stop up the fountain a butler came down the path with an expression of horror on his face the young man waved him away it's all right thompson he said yes sir said the man but her ladyship has arrived sir her ladyship has had her boxes sent upstairs i thought i'd better warn you sir the young man groaned is there time for me to be summoned to town he asked i'm afraid not replied the butler she's coming to find you now sir here she is sir a large woman bore down upon them she wore a large cloak and a large hat and several pomeranians trotted at her heels the young man rose to receive her here you are bertram she said you didn't invite me but i've come how awfully good of you said the young man dispiritedly the lady put up her lorgnettes and surveyed the children who are these ragamuffins she said slowly and distinctly oh just a nice little party of mine said the young man pleasantly st luke's and st mary's you'll get awfully fond of them they're very lovable the lady's face became stony are you aware she said that they're trampling on the flowers and splashing in the pond and sitting on the sundial oh yes he smiled just jolly childish pranks you know and that one in the awful tweed cap he's an orphan said the young man i'm going to give you the room next his he's got quite a jolly voice i heard him humming to himself a moment ago at this point four things happened 
one william who had wandered over the flower beds was suddenly impelled by the general brightness of the day to give vent to his feelings by a burst of song one more river and that's the river of jordan one more river there's one more river to cross he yelled the words happily in his strident young voice two the small pessimist again lifted up her voice in a wail oh i'm tired of the country i want to go home oh three eglantine who had surveyed the visitor in outraged silence for a few moments at last burst forth she set her thin hands on her thin hips and began and who are you to talk about ragamuffins queen of england are you and what about your own at insultin of another people in other people gardens four the five pomeranians excited by the uproar burst into simultaneous yapping above the horrible sounds of william's song the pessimist wails eglantine's recriminations the palms yapping the lady screamed to her nephew i'm going straight home bertram when you have a christian house to invite me to perhaps you'll let me know yes aunt he screamed back shall i see you to your car he left them for a few minutes and returned mopping his brow in time to rescue three boys from an early death from drowning in the pond william and a few other daring spirits were balancing themselves at a dizzy height on the top of the wall the young man was beginning to look pale when once more the butler appeared there's a gentleman at the front door sir he said respectfully who seems in a great state sir and he says they's lost some slum children the young man's face brightened ah he said tell him i found some and ask him to come and see whether they happen to be his they've done me a very great turn but i shouldn't mind being relieved of them now he was one of the swanks and no mistake said eglantine to william i'd no patience with him and his way o talkin i can ploy the toff as well as any one when he likes i did with him didn't i but i despises em william was looking anxiously down the road where the tall man was taking them where are we goin he said distrustfully to the kind lady who's invited us to tea said the tall man overhearing him william walked along in silence eglantine began to expatiate again look at him houses she said with a contemptuous glance at the houses between which they were passing what they want with such big houses swamp that's what it is swank living in a big houses and talking so soft i've no patience with em i wouldn't be one of em not for nothing but william was growing more and more uneasy what are we going along here for he muttered truculently the tall man turned in at a gate william moistened his lips he's making a mistake he murmured pulling his check cap still farther over his eyes at the door stood mrs brown and ethel their glance fell first on eglantine what a dreadful child whispered mrs brown next it fell on all that could be seen of eglantine's companion what an appalling cap whispered ethel then they advanced to welcome them here we are said the tall man with a note of relief in his voice here we are we've had a delightful time uh, quite a delightful time uh, on the whole 
Uh, just a little misunderstanding at one point, a, a temporary separation. Uh, but all's well that ends well. It's too kind of you. This is er uh, Eglantine, and er uh, the this little boy is an orphan. Poor little chap. Mrs. Brown laid her hand tenderly on the tweed cap. Poor little boy, she began. Poor little... Then she met the eyes beneath the tweed cap. William, she said sharply, take off that horrible cap and go and wash your face. William, clean and brushed and frowning, sat and glared across the table at his friends. He felt himself disgraced forever. He was a pariah outside the pale, one of the swanks who lived in big houses and talked soft. His mother's and Ethel's intonation and accent seemed at that moment a public humiliation to him. He did not dare to meet Eglantine's eyes. Fiercely he munched a currant bun into his unoccupied hand, stole a small grimy one. Never mind, whispered Eglantine. You can't help it. And William whispered gratefully, Not much. End of chapter five.